0: is the best thing ever. Bacon is the best thing ever. I can agree with that. Yes. Yes. All right. Hey, are you crazy sci-fi? What's really fan?
1: good bacon and pineapple
0: pizza. Now, well, you could put <laughs> bacon on pizza, that'd be acceptable. Pineapple's not so much. But well, we'll deal with the heresy later. Uh, Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. The podcast where we put the fun and dysfunctional. So without further ado, uh, we'll let our guest, Mr. Daniel Schwaber, I hope I pronounced that right.
2: Uh, Schwabauer. Schwabauer. Okay, I wasn't even close. It sounds cooler, Schwaber. Let's go. Yeah, with Schwar- we'll, go
0: with, we'll go with whichever one I say at the time because I'll mispronounce it a dozen ways, a dozen times. But uh, can you please introduce yourself to our viewers and listeners?
2: Yeah, my name is Daniel Schwabauer. I'm a nerd, I love um, science fiction, fantasy. I'm a writer, and uh, I love talking about storytelling.
0: Okay, and uh, we actually, next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we first met them. I actually first met Dan when we were in a story bundle together last year. Uh, and so I decided the the great idea that I would interview one inter- author a day for like 30 days, because there were 30 of us in that bundle. That was a lot of interviewing. And he was one of them, and we sort of kept in touch. So when he had his new book out, I knew we had to uh, to get him back on and talk nerdy with him. Yes. All right, Doc. We've got a new set of religion questions for him, and we'll see if he passes this time. He did okay last time. Um,
1: I know. Well, let's just point out, it has been 99 episodes since we've had him on. <laughs>
2: That's amazing. So, well, that's
1: that's
0: a lot of beers between now and then.
1: That's all the beers on the wall. Assuming you, yeah. you know, passed out to the first one, you lazy butt. <laughs> all right, ask
0: away,
2: Doc.
1: Okay, so on to religion: Dune, Last Starfighter, or War Games?
2: Well, given the era, <laughs> I can't say Dune, though the the modern, the recent uh, film version I, I thought was fantastic. Uh, I got to go with War Games. War Games I watched when it came out, I don't know, eight or nine times in the theater. I just loved that movie. Loved. I was a computer nerd back with my TI-99 4A programming, uh, trying to create games on my own, not knowing what I was doing. And uh, when War Games came out, I was like, yeah, yeah, hacking national systems. Can't do that, but it sounds fun. So War Games. <laughs> yes. And that if you can, you use just to let you know. It was a fantastic computer. It was it was uh I mean <laughs> I even had the little expansion box with a 128k uh memory module. It's the of a laptop, you know.
0: I remember going to uh math class and they would check your programs because people would try to cheat and program the math formulas as saved uh whatever and so they could cheat when they were <laughs> doing
1: their tests. They still oh. will do that. Um I had a teacher, though, who was like, if you're going to take the time to program all the formulas in, you deserve it.
0: <laughs> the question is, if you program all of them, you have to know which one is the right one to use. And that was, was his was point.
1: Figuring. It doesn't help you if you don't know which one to use. So, uh,
2: Honestly, I passed chemistry in high school because I had a little tiny TI computer uh, that, that was programmable with basic. And I entered all the formulas in from chemistry. And I passed because of it. And I wish I hadn't, because I didn't learn a thing. I learned enough to program it to do the chemistry uh, formulas. And then when I got to college, I was like, I don't remember anything from chemistry. Honestly,
1: you probably would have remembered anything from chemistry
2: anyways. That's a good point.
1: (laughs) So, because I've tutored those kids who, who have, like, I had an A an honors chemistry and they get to college and they're like, I don't know. and I'm like, yeah, you've had many sleeps since then yeah. or lack thereof of sleeps, which is worse for your memory. So, yeah. um, but yes, no, now you, you can't go take like the American chemistry society tests with a programmable calculator, however, because I am a chemistry major. Well, I have a chemistry degree. You can take this one, and I love this one because you can put data into it, and it gives you your standardized formula, your your range, your, your wow. standard deviation. So it, it 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 converts things. It does a lot. That but it's not programmable. <laughs>
2: so you know, all the tricks.
1: Yeah. Uh, I do. I was an I was president of the honor society for. You are a nerd. I there's a so there was no work.
0: Yes, you still are. You're right.
1: <laughs> okay. So, but on to fantasy, talking about other things that we can nerd out on. Legend, never ending story, or Lady Hawk?
2: I don't know if this is the right answer, but it is the right answer for me. I love Lady Hawk. Um, yeah. Rutger Hauer, Matthew Broderick. Um, and there was something about it, even when, when it came out and I was in high school. I'm sure I worked in movie theater for five years, but when, when Lady Hawk came out, I remember thinking this movie has way more depth than I expected a movie, a fantasy movie to have the, the thematic elements. And even the concept of, you know, they, they only see each other for a second, you know, like when the, when the sun's going down or up or whatever, uh, it just seems like a cruel, a wonderfully cruel, uh, fate for the villain to, to put onto them. And, uh, it just it had that fairy tale flavor to it. And um, yeah, I liked it a lot. It's cool.
1: I, there, I'm going like, to. This was make a trick- old, But I remember watching it the first time, and my dad sat me down and was like, No, you have to watch this. So, so
0: this was a trick question because all were acceptable answers. I, I enjoyed all the movies. And Doc has a special. Was it the one that, uh, that the never ending story that had the people recreating it at the Dragon Con? You showed me the pictures with the carpet.
1: Yes. No, there is somebody who goes around with the tray with the horse head. Yeah, it, it's very it's like the fantasy version of the of the the people who go around as Bruce Wayne's parents who collapse in front of all the Batmans.
0: Yeah, right. I totally do that. That's awesome. Why didn't I think of that?
1: Because uh, you don't go out in public and no, that is and for I... the benefit of the public.
0: Well, that's actually the good news is I just found out my bonker's only three o- rows over from where John Ringo's hiding. So it's a win win. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: a good line. <laughs> All right. Well, Doc his
1: wife here. makes great cookies, so you're good. You're in luck.
2: So I oh. uh,
1: did he put claymores? Because if he did, I might not want to knock. Shoot.
0: I'll send him carrier pigeons and we'll find out.
1: <laughs> I don't think you want to go in there without warning. I'll let you know when it's safe. All right. <laughs> okay so as you know we celebrate both the science and the fantastical so which was your first love though sci-fi or fantasy
2: it was science fiction um oddly i i uh spent a summer in tulsa my dad was the was an architect and he's the he was um he built crown center in kansas city he was on the team he was kind of in charge of the construction management and then he was asked to go do what was the Williams Center in, in Tulsa, and so we lived there. And for me, it was just this hot, miserable experience in a camper for three months. But our, our neighbors had given me a, a bag of books, and it was all of the John Carter of Mars series with all the things by Edgar Rice Burroughs. So I I pull out you know a Princess of Mars, and I'm transported. Fifth grade for me it was like it was a magical summer even though it was hot and, you know, boring in the KOA and this camper, I had this massive amount of books and um, I just fell in love with the, the idea of going to Barsoom and, and riding around on, you know, with my, uh, my tusky eight-legged dog or six-legged dog, Woola, I remember. uh, And the the green (laughs) Martians, everything about it appealed to the fifth grade me. Um, So yeah, science fiction was, if you can call it science fiction, that's what captured me.
1: I think you can. Yeah. So. And then, um, I mean, those are great books and perfect age.
0: So. Yeah. yeah. So was the Barsoom your first, um, your first sci-fi experience then, or was there something before that?
2: Well, there may have been things that, I, like, I was aware of things like Star Trek and stuff. But, but as far as the, that's, that's that's where, where it clicked. Like, yeah, it clicked and it was like, I want to read more of this. And I, I mean, I went from it didn't just have to be that I read. I think I read Lord of the Rings the next year or the next school year in sixth grade and went from there to the Chronicles of Narnia weirdly. And and I read a bunch of horror stuff from um, like there were, <laughs> there were books in the school library that were Alfred Hitchcock's Tales of the Macabre. They had a giant series of these. Of these books and i don't know why they marketed them to grade schoolers because these were classic horror short stories and you know when you're young your brain really likes like wonder horror and humor and, I, uh, so- I think
1: some of why they do it is it's like there there's and i i'm going to use anime as an example uh i grew up watching anime but there was a time where i have younger brothers and my mom went oh well it's anime so it's okay by the way the movie was ninja scrolls and if anybody in the audience is listening my brothers were in third grade that is above adult rating and i'm going no mom no and she's like stop being a prude and because it's a cartoon so it's going to be safe right no 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 no. my brothers were distracted i pulled her in and she goes get that out of the machine and it's the one time she like gave me permission to lie to my brothers they're like what happened to the movie i'm like "VCR ate it (laughs) so i think sometimes
2: people go oh it's
1: fantasy and they then don't quality check it
2: yeah well you'd think a school librarian would have a little more i mean they have the whole series of these things and I'm not saying they were bad. I really liked them. It's just, you know, I, I look back and I go, what was I thinking when I was in fifth grade? <laughs> All these things. I, but I read the whole series of them and there was. There was a I
1: think of- I just hope some of it's above our head. Like if you've ever gone back and watched The Nanny, which I did one summer and I'm like, mom, why did you watch this with us? She's like, "It. you didn't understand it. It went right above your head.
2: That's probably what happened. I remember There's some she- of the stories I've gone back and read some of it. And I think. <laughs> This should have given me nightmares and it didn't. I just, I must've not really gotten how horrific it was.
0: Well, there's the jokes that are in there for the kids, just like with Popeye. And then there's the stuff that's underhanded. That's that's there for the grown folk who have to suffer through it multiple times. <laughs>
1: yeah. So
0: I don't know um, what you're talking
1: about. I just ignore it. I do chemistry. No, I know.
0: I just nod along appropriately and covertly read a book. My, my child like.
1: watched Frozen so many times while I was getting my chemistry degree. I knew every episode line of Frozen just because it was in the back of my head. And I'd never actually seen the movie.
0: <laughs> so you didn't <laughs> let it go?
1: <laughs> I haven't yet.
0: All right. So. so I like that. <laughs> I, I do what I can. Try the veal. Tip your waitress. I'll be here all week. Uh, so <laughs> what is it you what is it you love about speculative fiction as a genre
2: well uh i would say that it is it, it's this it gives you the ability to work with complex ideas and and probably the thing that gets me the most is that you can be hopeful and you can be honest at the same time And i know you can do that in other genres but um with science fiction with fantasy you can be you can very, be very bleak about humans. And at the same time, like, pull back on the bleakness and show, you can, you, in getting across, like, the, they're wonder genres, right? But things are better than we expect them to be. In spite of the army of orcs, in spite of, you know, the the horrors of uh, the, the, the villain might be forming in his dungeon or whatever, there's still this sense of things are going to turn out. They're, like the, the famous line from Samwise in Lord of the Rings, you know, there's got to be. Uh, there, there's still something worth fighting for it's that that juxtaposition of hopeful and honest um, that that I really like and um, yeah I think it I think you can say things that are pretty profound about human beings without lying
0: okay. that's a different answer than we've gotten before but I like it so how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre and you talked about reading it as a kid and then sort of getting hooked, how did that translate into or transition into you writing stories in that space?
2: Well, I, I knew I wanted to be a writer going back to grade school. I had a fantastic um, sixth grade teacher who just encouraged me and that she kind of made me believe I could be a writer. But uh, so I did, I went, there was the only thing I loved. And so I went that direction. And when I went into college, I was like, I don't really care about anything else. so I'll study English. And uh, I went to KU Kansas University for eight years, and I had the great, great fortune of stumbling <laughs> on a class by Jim Gunn, a Nebula and Hugo award-winning science fiction writer who taught there, in spite of the fact that it seemed the faculty hated his guts, <laughs> and like they all despised science fiction at the time. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of colleges have a different perspective on it now, but back then it was the armpit genre, and he was a genius, and even though I disagreed with him about a lot of things, he was he was um, he was so knowledgeable and so I won't say encouraging, but he he pointed me in the direction of story and no one else did. everyone else looked at they had kind of a superficial view of storytelling and they 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 only focused on word photography, on looking at the text and making the sentences pretty. and what I was fascinated with was, How do you tell a story that makes people get lost in the world, makes them love the characters, makes you you put it down and you're crying because you go, I can never go back to Middle Earth. You know, Um, how do you do that? And Jim Gunn didn't quite tell me, but he showed me where to go. Like he pointed me in that direction. And so um, I spent, you know, eight years, I guess, under that. And when I got out of college, I realized (laughs) I thought I was learning (laughs) how to be a writer when I was in college, but I didn't. It just pointed me in the direction of of figure out you know go go study stories for a while so um I've been on this weird path of studying stories since I got out of college Uh, it's been like a 30 some year journey and uh that's how that's how it landed me here
0: okay so many authors will let their real life experiences influence the kind of stories they tell so besides that experience in college with with Professor Gunn were there any uh, moments that you feel like really shape the kind of stories you tell?
2: The kind of stories I tell um you know it's it's uh it's hard to say where stories come from for me because uh, it they they have to kind of uh, ferment for a while before I realize what I want to do. Um I broke my back when I was in college in five places and it that experience um kind of ended some possibilities for me and it made me realize, I guess this is what I'm doing, <laughs> that I can't do some other things I wanted to do, but I'll do that. Um, so it, it also kind of reset my priorities of what's important. Um, and it, it didn't like, I wouldn't say it was a big lesson for me. It just like, you know, cleared away some of the possibilities and what I was left with was, well, what's been the most important thing to me, you know, in terms of what I want to do with my life has been writing. So why don't I focus on that? Okay,
0: and we're glad you did.
1: So transitioning a bit off the writing, but into those who obviously enjoy your work. Have you had any cool fan art or a cosplay of one of your characters yet?
2: I have had I have had that experience. It's not widespread. I'm not uh, <laughs> I'm not Stephen King. Although I, I don't know what you would cosplay from Stephen King. Maybe he gets people dressed up as there's it. a lot of
1: people who cosplay it. <laughs> yeah.
2: I uh, would probably not enjoy that, but from the mid-grade fantasy series, I've had, I've had um, kids and young people uh, dress up as the characters.
1: That's awesome. So I I love literature-based cosplays so much that uh, I created a costume contest just for that at DragonCon because I'm a dork. <laughs> so, uh, but have you? you said it here, not me. <clears throat> what? JR, I'm much better than you are. It's okay. You can just enjoy it. Um, so has anyone asked for your autograph yet? Uh
2: yes, actually. Um again, it's not widespread. When I go to the grocery store, nobody knows why. But in certain contexts, uh writing places, I've had some some people. Ask, so what was it
1: like Whoa. the first time you got had somebody ask you?
2: Uh I felt like an imposter. <laughs> It's just, just to be honest, it's like, why are you asking for my autograph? Why would, why would you care? You know Uh, it's hard to take it too seriously. I had, I had one great experience with a, a teacher um, in the city that's like 10 miles from, from where I live uh, emailed me and said um, they, they had found my contact information from the publisher and they had a student who was really interested and really loved my, my first mid grade fantasy novel And they wondered if I could email him because he was doing his class project on me. Which anything like that happened? And I was like, I said, and and she said it's his birthday on Friday. If you could email him on this was like the next day. And I said, My wife would have to get out. Would would it be meaningful if I stopped by? And she's like, You would not believe how meaningful it would be. So she didn't realize that I was 10 minutes away. She thought I was probably in New York or something, you know. So we just went by while we were out doing other errands we walk in and this kid had a poster like one of those big poster board things with my with a picture from the website and the book and all these things from the characters and and it was cool but it was endearing it was endearing and heartwarming because the entire class knew how much this meant to this kid so they had all been quiet about it and they were having a party a birthday party on his behalf and oh. when i walked in with my wife his face just lit up and it, it's like a like he doesn't know me he just loved the book you know, yeah. so he had this connection. It wasn't like I did any great thing. I just wrote a book and he happened to love it. And and so, I mean, he we we're there for like half an hour and he's just like super excited. And we walked out and I'll never forget this. My wife said to me, now I know why you're doing this. I said, now oh. I know why I'm doing this.
1: No, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's really awesome. And that teacher is amazing because uh, you you can find connection in the books and they can show you aspects of yourself, particularly when you're young. Yeah. So uh, that's an amazing experience though. I, I think that's probably one of my all time favorite stories.
2: So, one, been One of my favorite stories from the years I've been doing this.
1: So have you spotted someone reading one of your books in the wild?
2: I have experienced that too. It's been a little weird just walking along and like, that's my book. <laughs> Okay, I mean, I've never. I would feel very awkward going up and approaching someone about that. (laughs) But it's almost like I like I do a double take and like, is that really what I thought?
1: That's awesome, though. Um, So, do you have a funniest fan interaction? I think that's probably the most heartwarming fan interaction ever.
2: There was another kid that came up to me and started reciting the opening. uh it's Tamir's prophecies from the beginning of of uh, Run the brave he had memorized it and he just oh, started wow. writing it to me and I'm like looking at this eight-year-old is like going chitter chatter teeth a clatter he's doing this whole thing you know and I'm like I can't do that <laughs> I don't know what to do now what do I do uh good job
1: I <laughs> think that's all you really can do yeah so that's cool though yeah. um
0: do you, like, carry, like, I don't know, bookmarks or something you could give them? But like, oh, you get this little prize.
2: I, well, I did have some in my car, but it's been – those books came out long enough ago that, um, that that doesn't really happen now. Books have a shelf life, in a sense, for how how long they really endure, you know, in, out in the public.
0: Okay. Not the good ones. The good ones last forever.
2: That's, that's true. Yeah.
0: And that's a subjective thing. Like what, what's going to resonate with different people.
2: Yeah.
0: So you you might get a surprise letter 10 years from now from someone who finds that book and never know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's true.
0: So, right. This is where we talk about everything you uh, have written, Daniel. So can you give us the, and you notice I didn't try to pronounce his name this time. Can you (laughs) give us the reader's digest version of your body of works?
2: Uh, Body of work is I've been a jack of all trades. I've done, uh, all kinds of things like on the small scale. I mean, I, I've written for television and like an animated series. Um, I've written comic books. I did audio. Um, I mean, I wrote brochures for, I rewrote government booklets <laughs> like but early in my career cause it paid. So how do you make government like booklets actually readable and enjoyable? It's really hard. It was good training. Um, the things that are kind of out there now are the mid grade fantasy series the legends of Tyrannor. um there's the Operation Grendel, which came out last year um an audiobook came out actually this is really this is really cool um the audiobook version of Operation Grendel won an ear ear a headphone award from the audio file magazine it was adam werner's the reason uh he's the guy who did it, and I just got a copy of it here uh but bragging on adam Vern, uh it's pretty cool it won that award and then maxine justice uh comes out and then i also have i have um uh books on writing and writing programs that i do so like textbooks but as far as what we're here for science fiction and fantasy um operation grendel and maxine justice galactic attorney that comes out uh, in march
0: all right. Well, those all sound fascinating, but obviously we're here to talk about Maxine justice galactic journey. So where'd you get the premise for this story? Uh, was it psychedelics Ouija board studying too hard for your LSATs?
2: <laughs> um, the, the origin story of this is weird. I had an idea for a short story in the mid nineties, uh, called the puppet man. That's what I was going to call it. I wrote about the first half and I could not figure out, I still the premise could not figure out what to do with it. And then, um, Somewhere around 2018 or late 2017, my daughter, uh, who is, you know, we're empty nesters, she's grown out of college. She comes over and we're talking and I'm I'm telling her about this story idea and she gives me the feedback I need. She says, well, why would the main character be a guy? Why wouldn't it, wouldn't it make more sense for it to be a woman? And, and this may sound terrible that it didn't occur to me that it could be a woman, Uh but I had the idea cemented. Sometimes I think ideas are like cement. They, the, the longer they sit, the harder they get, the less yeah. flexible they are. You know, So you don't even think outside the box at all because you can't. It takes someone else to come in and kind of break it up and go, um, why are you doing it that way? And as soon as she said that, as soon as she said, you "No, know, why wouldn't the main character be a woman? It would affect the, a woman differently, the plot. I went, you're right. And then it was like the whole thing unfolded. My previous idea everything dissolved except for the premise. And I saw it for the story that it could be in a sense. I mean, it took tons of work, but um, that's what was behind it. 20 uh, some years of just me going, I don't know what to do with this idea. And one one offhand remark from my daughter is like, that was the insight I needed. So if you want to
0: reach out to him to throw all of your ideas at his daughter, he will charge you a hundred dollars <laughs> an hour. And he will solve your
2: story problems. Boy, she would um, love that. <laughs> hundred dollars an hour? Yeah, who wouldn't? <laughs> I mean, we could probably work it out where we would just split it, you know. Um, you know, as you do, find your speed that. on that. We're going to tell her it was 20. Okay.
0: Damn! So. <laughs> I mean, you know, raising kids ain't cheap. He's going to pay that. it back. I
1: guess that's Don't right. remind me. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. So uh, before we dig into the story itself, let's take a minute and look at this glorious cover. So uh, how did this, and it's bright, it sticks out. It really does pop on the screen. So how did you come up with the, this cover image? Like what's the story point of this?
2: Well, uh, all of the credit for this goes to Kirk DuPonts. Uh, he's the cover designer that um, Enclave got, the publisher got to do the cover. And I, I have to say some great things about Enclave too. They're so good to work with from an author's perspective to work with a publisher Uh, one of the things they did for both of my novels that I've done with them um, is they've given me not like input. This is what it needs to look like, but they give this um, document that like pulls ideas out of you, things that you imagine possible images. And it's really, it's not just for the author. It's for, it's for Kirk too, when he's doing the design, I like to give him ideas, but um, Kirk actually read the book, which is not, necessarily normal for, for a cover designer, right? I mean, they can't afford just take the time to read a book most of the time. But Kirk did that. And uh, so I'm grateful because he captured not just, I mean, I gave him this document with all my thoughts in it, um, but he, he also captured something about it that I really like, like the, the vibe of the book, I think, is in the cover. So that's the story behind it. It's, it has, really has nothing to do with me. It's, it's Kirk's genius.
1: <laughs> that's awesome though uh so before we go on we are going to insert a commercial as jr likes to say we're going to shill except this time we're just going to shill for the readers because i like them today <laughs> so so <laughs>
0: Space, a tycoon's playground. From a monastery on the moon to a solar shade large enough to cool the Earth, the dreams
2: of a handful of trillionaires dictate the future of humanity. Outside the reach of earthly law, the four horsemen do exactly as they please. Earth is not amused,
0: and an international team is sent to neutralize the most dangerous project in human history.
2: But nothing is quite that simple when rich men control the sky. Rich Man's Sky by Will McCarthy and Bainbooks.com.
1: Okay, right. and we're back. JR, it's my turn to do it. Don't make right, me. Don't make right. me knife you. I will send you pineapple pizza to your house. You don't know where I live. Wait a minute, shit,
0: you do. All right,
1: do I know all the details, and I'll make your mom make you, and your mom will make you eat it. You know it's really cheating when you pull. The, I'm going to call your mom card. I don't have to call her. She calls me. She likes me better than you. The sad part, Daniel, is it's true. My mom likes her <laughs> better. It's okay. Get used to it. Welcome to my world. My mom likes everybody better.
0: Are you going to ask the next question, Doc? It's yours,
1: or are you still going to giggle? I'm going to giggle at your misery.
0: Okay.
1: Just make it so, go. <laughs> you know, moving into the book itself, um, what would your 30-second elevator pitch be for this?
2: <laughs> this one's really hard I've had uh easy ones in the past Maxine well, We had two years 20 years of it incubating uh, yeah I know you I think it would be easy right um no it it's basically a, an alien invasion story but instead of it being a violent invasion it's a corporate takeover of earth by aliens which means they have to get us to agree to the corporate takeover um and Maxine justice is the hero that we deserve not the hero we need so <laughs> she's oh, that's
1: so loaded,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's an ambulance chaser, and uh i I love her as a character she's got a got a human heart it's, you'd say she's got a heart of gold that's not really true, <laughs> but she is love.
1: <laughs> so what is it that makes maxine the series special, this book
2: well, um it's a little different as a story, you know, it's, it's not the, I mean, she's, she's the, when I say she's the hero, we deserve not the hero. She, that we need, she is an ambulance chasing, like she's trying to get her own firm going. She, she renamed herself Maxine justice because she realized nobody wanted to hire someone named Euphemia Kolpak. You know, you just don't trust Euphemia Kolpak LLC, but you do trust Maxine justice LLC. So she's trying to, she's got all the marketing things but she failed the bar exam 3 times. And oh you know, like if you want the someone to defend earth it's probably not Maxine Justice because she represents us a little too well. You want someone a little better, right? Except maybe you don't. Maybe you want the someone who really is human. That's the idea so, behind the, the so battle. do you give her some cool one-liners? Oh, she if has all if,
0: yeah, if the uh, glove don't fit, you must quit Stuff like that.
2: <laughs> sort of, yeah, yeah. She has some things. We actually we were doing some giveaways. Um, like when people buy the book, the hardcover book, and send it to me, I, I bought some stickers, a set of four stickers. So, like her her practice is Maxine Justice LLC, premier representation for discerning sentience. Um, one of the stickers is "I believe in the multiverse." It's not the multiverse. It's the multiverse. This whole theory behind, it's multiverse theory. Um, okay. A a a lawyer with a working moral compass is always broke. That's one of her sayings. So, yes, yeah, she has tons of one-liners um, as a as an attorney who is cynical and yet idealistic at the same time.
0: So, how much hate mail are you expecting to get from
2: actual lawyers when they read that? <laughs> Honestly. What I expect is lawyers will probably love this. I had a lot of lawyer friends when I was in college. They were the ones who told me all the lawyer jokes I know. Um, <laughs> they love being the shark trope, right? They love that. So um, I I don't know whether they'll like the book. They, they You know, they might read the book and go, eh, it probably wouldn't work this way. But of course, that's why I set it in an alternate world so I could get away with a few little changes to the law. Um so, I don't know. I could get hate mail. We'll see. We'll so,
1: but... which tropes do you think Maxine Justice really hits on? It sounds like she hits the lawyers or sharks trope, which is a fun one because you don't really see that in science fiction and fantasy
2: often. Yeah, that's that one uh that's a big one and that that's one that I had fun with because of the science fiction. I thought I hadn't really seen this before. Um so alien imposters is a trope uh that's that's Obviously, in the story, you get it from reading the back cover, uh, but also wish fulfillment. There's a the idea of um, you know it's not the three wish idea, but it's just that if something could be too good to be true, would we care? You know, um, okay, it's, it's too easy. So, what's the problem? <laughs> you know, I don't see a problem with that. Um, yeah, there, there's android tropes and and. Lots of other tropes I'm not thinking of right now. I know we've interviewed a few other
0: authors, um, that actually wrote space lawyers too, so it's a starting to get a little bit of a following. I know Craig Martell, I think, did one. Mm -hmm. Well, Uh, Bane did a
1: space law anthology, so there
0: was a female author whose name escapes me that actually is a space lawyer, like she studies space law in addition to being a lawyer and wrote a book,
1: like kind of from her real world experience, a fictional one. Um, I think I, I wasn't here for that one. That may have been when, during Blasters of Blades. I missed more of those episodes.
0: I think that might have even been before we were, um, before the rebranding. But anyway, I know there's a few of them out there, so um, it's it's definitely something people are more and more interested in, which I, I kind of find fascinating. Like the idea of how our legal culture and and you know whether you think that's good or bad might translate when we go into space.
2: Yeah, I think there's a there's actually a category now in Amazon. Um, looking at the trends last year, I noticed that there was a, one of the trends that was growing the most was this overlap, um, which doesn't mean that it's there's very many titles there, but it means that there's a hole apparently in the market. But I had no idea about that when I was writing the story. I just liked the idea of mixing.
0: Okay. So besides the uh the space lawyer, which I'm not sure if it is a genre or subgenre yet, but if it's not it will be soon because I'm seeing more of these come out. Are there any other genres uh that you feel like this story fits into?
2: Well, sort of alien invasion, it's sort of courtroom drama and uh, legal thriller, but it's also a highly satirical. So humorous science fiction. I mean, I'm not Douglas Adams, but I one way I pitched this to my agent was if um, John Grisham outlined a novel and gave it to Terry Pratchett to write, but Terry Pratchett you know, only had like a day to do it, and C.S. Lewis was standing over, like in the corner, drinking too much sherry and making snarky comments, what you would get would be Maxine Justice, Galactic Attorney.
1: That sounds like a great way to
2: write a book. <laughs> That's the only way I knew how to write this one. And I came up with that after I was done writing it. I went, how do I describe this? And I came up with that. And so far, when I've told people that, the reactions are very, they're varied.
1: <laughs> varied. I think it sounds amazing.
0: Yes, but you like anything. And you had, you had the mention of sherry. So
1: I don't you like drink. anything. And I really don't drink much sherry. You drink anything
0: alcoholic. Let's be fair.
1: I have standards. I do not drink Montezuma Blue. I do not drink Budweiser. I do not drink Miller. I really don't drink Budweiser. It's piss water. I have standards I to, and the discipline to enforce them. Unlike I, you.
0: I used to drink the Miller and Bud because it was cheap when I was in college. And I had an epiphany a couple years ago. I'm like, I'm not drinking to get pissed drunk anymore. I'm going to drink stuff that actually tastes good. And that's when I found all the different microbreweries that are out there with, with all the unique blends. But I have standards now. So there. <laughs> so um, <laughs> now we're going to, you hosh talk. Learn um. the hard way. Aren't all the best lessons in life learned that way? But that's uh, why we don't let you show your face. This is where we we mention if there are any alcoholics listening, and you know a, a beverage company that would want to sponsor us, send them our way. We're going to use the product anyway, so why not get paid? Uh, oh, now, alcoholics, <laughs> I do too. So now onto the story itself. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your main character, Maxine Justice, that you haven't told us already? Because you've given us sort of like the thirty thousand feet view of what she is, but what can you tell her that? us about her that makes her unique in the
2: crowd of sci-fi well maxine is very intent about she really believes that she can make a difference so that's maybe one of the unique things about her from at least from my perspective as a as a writer in, the, in terms of the character that i like to create she's different from me because she's idealistic she wants to help people she's working in a system that uses literally uses robots as judges And how do you, as as this person who wants to help people who are downtrodden, uh, but also get rich, how do you jam those two things into a personality and have them make sense? How do you live a fulfilling life? Um, One of the things I learned with having a lot of friends in law school was that lawyers often don't make very much money, especially out of law school. Uh, It seems like the you know, ones that succeed, succeed well, you know, they, they have a, a decent income, but there's enough lawyers, the market's kind of oversaturated with them, um, that the the starting salary and sometimes the salary after 10 or 15 years isn't really that great. And that to me seems like fodder for for a story because there's that, that uh, possibility for temptation for, um, you know, someone coming along and saying, here's an easy way to get both things that you want. So that's where Maxine is. Maxine is uh, is idealistic, and and stuck at the same time. Okay, that's
0: okay. So, were there any uh, secondary characters that were especially memorable to you in this
2: um, in this story? There, there is a secondary character it ends up being kind of the mentor character, who walked into the first chapter. Um, basically in my pre-writing like right before i started writing is his name is pastoroid singh he is a uh theropod counseling bot and uh in in this story there are different denominations of theropods so there's you know pastoroids and and rabbots and um and emams and uh padres there there are all kinds that are programmed with whatever your particular faith and belief system has you know is and they will counsel you from that perspective in, in this world humans have offloaded the things that you would think would be the least likely to be offloaded the least algorithmic the least equational humans have said yeah let's give those things to robots like let's make them judges and and uh therapists that's so that's scary <laughs> Asteroid right i thought was going to be a sort of a throwaway character is this annoying pastor character. And, and I thought it could be fun for her to be stuck with him because the judge is mad at her and he orders her into therapy, right? You know, doesn't like her behavior. So go see this therapist. And then he ends up being this character that just grows and grows as the novel goes on. And uh, I've had some of the beta readers told me, I wish I could spend, I um, wish I could spend like <laughs> in my life, Spend time in counseling sessions with Pastoroid Singh, and oddly, I feel kind of the same way. <laughs> it's wow. weird. It's very weird.
0: Okay, all right, Doc. Next question's on you. Put the yarn down.
1: I, I will. I'm not doing anything with yarn. You don't know that.
0: Uh huh. We know by her defensive answer, dear listener, dear viewer, that she's playing with yarn again. It's her addiction. You know
1: I will stab you. I will stab you so hard.
0: She stabs the yarn so she doesn't stab me. It's the way it works.
1: That's a rumor. Not There is no scientific proof. So uh, do you have any bad guys in this story, though? Uh,
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's the aliens, obviously, who are mixed. Um, And there's humans because uh, the story to me wouldn't be complete if I said, you know, humans, good guys, and aliens, bad guys. One of the problems with having a corporate takeover is – is you know we're part of the problem, right? So if we're part of the problem and we're agreeing to this, then we have to be part of the problem, right? We've got to have humans who are representing different fields from medicine. I mean, the the premise of the story is that the aliens hire Maxine to represent them at the UN because they have this proposal to cure all natural flaws in humanity for 30% of our gold reserves. And so the idea is that if that were to really happen there would be a lot of people wanting that not to happen the medical industry for instance would not want that to happen right um so we have plenty of opportunities for humans to act badly and uh try to take out maxine
1: okay so if your characters met you in a dark alley how do you think you'd fare if they knew who you were
2: I love this question. <laughs> this is, that's so It really depends on the story, right? Maxine. I, I honestly think Maxine would probably walk up and slap me and then offer to buy me a drink. I mean... That sounds was, like a lawyer. Not in a creepy way, but I mean, it's sort of like she's, she's, uh, she's not out of control, but she definitely has emotions. And I think she would think about what I put her through. Want to punish me for it and then realize ah some good things
0: happened to you so i kind of figured based on what you've described that then she would hand you a business card and, and offer to give you like a five percent discount or something
2: yeah, yeah that's, that's
0: offer bloated <laughs> fees yeah yeah <laughs> so uh since um we're talking about characters right now so some authors think in time uh in terms of things like character archetypes when they when they write these uh fun people we love to read about so when when you think about characters that way, do you have a favorite archetype?
2: Yeah. I mean, I really like trickster archetypes. I don't, I don't typically write from archetypes where I, where I like go through and I say, I need this type and this type and this type. But when I'm looking at a story arc, I will sometimes say what sort of characters fit this. And that actually, this is probably the first time that I, I thought trickster really might work here. Um, so it's, it's weird to make the lawyer a trickster, isn't it? A little bit. I don't know. not, if you've perfect. got any. <laughs> I, I don't know if she perfectly fits this role, but, um, it did enter my mind because I do like, I do like the trickster.
0: Okay. So finally, what can you tell us about the universe in many series, or at least the good ones, the, the worlds where the story takes place are as much a character as the protagonist or antagonist. So Um, what can you tell us about this alternative reality that you created for this, for this book?
2: Well, it's basically a near future dystopian alternate version of New York where, as I said, we, we've like offloaded some unexpected things. Um, I wanted to play with that idea that, um, you know, the things that we are more comfortable with in our, in our, the way we look at the world and our worldview um, are often increasingly, I think, uh, neurologically left hemisphere of the brain. The representation flat equation stuff, uh, language, but not metaphor, not things on the in the right hemisphere and the things that take a lot of complexity and depth. I mean, Facebook doesn't exactly encourage complexity and depth. And what? Yeah. Yeah. No. Surprise. So, you know, instead of going the direction that I wanted to go, I tried to go a little bit of the other direction. Like the thing that I would expect, well, let's offload the things that are, that machines are best suited for. Well, what if we didn't, what if we wanted to keep those things because we like them and we offloaded the stuff that we're moving away from the depth. We said, oh. Oh, give, give the law. I mean, who cares about that? Give the law. To the to these uh, um, magistron uh, robotic characters that can decide these things for us um, give therapy we'll just train them in psychology and give people the things they want to hear' we'll, we'll deal with psychology we'll give them to that we'll turn that over to the machines uh, that's the future I don't explore that in tons of depth it's basically just in this legal corner of the world because that's the plot that's going on but but um, but that's the setting that's the future that we're in for. In this world.
0: So, uh, is Maxine Justice, um, Galactic Attorney, a part of a series? Is uh, her story done? Uh, what more can we expect from these characters?
2: Well, I, I wish I knew. I mean, I have I have other books planned and like outlined in the sense of I have a direction I want to go. Um, but to me, I really have to um, I have to fall in love with some premise of the book before I'm willing to commit the time to to write it. So um, I'm I'm heading towards wanting to do at least one more and hopefully something like three to five more books in the in the series. Um, that's where my imagination seems to be going. But it's a it's a big commitment for me. It takes me a while to do these and I have to I, I'm I have a lot of other projects I'm working on right now. So so I can't tell you exactly whether there's gonna be another book or whether there's going to be six more.
1: Okay. okay, but go review it. Share it with your friends if you like it, because that will help help decide if it's worth the time to write another one. Absolutely. Right.
2: Yep.
0: Yep. All right, Doc. Put the yarn down. We got to do the interview. Yeah,
1: I will fight you. So, um, you know, I, we've talked some about the world, but were there was there any tech from this that you'd want? like uh well actually other than the droids we really haven't talked about the tech. So can you give us an idea of like how technologically advanced are we talking about?
2: It's the- not it's not very different from our world except in the realm of these like abstract things that shouldn't be turned over to machines. But <laughs> but, but if there's one thing that would appeal to me weirdly, if I had a counselor sing <laughs> I'm not really good at psychologist, maybe I need to, uh, probably I need to, but if I had a counselor saying I would probably talk his ear off all the time because, you know, he has to listen, right? I'd probably like story ideas by him. Um, And in the book he ends up being kind of oddly brilliant and unexpectedly insightful. So that's what I'd be looking for is like, will you unpack why I'm this way? That's what I'd be looking for. And I would abuse it. I'm sure he'd probably like find a way to get rid of me
1: so how would you use it
2: I, I I'd be like all the time I'd be I'd be signing up for the sessions <laughs> <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> tell me what I'm doing wrong
1: uh, I think that's kind of what therapists seem to like to do I don't know um that would involve my could,
2: that could that would probably be the problem
1: <laughs> so how about the aliens? How did you go about designing these aliens? Did you, were you inspired by a late night TV? Um, bad takeout? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, do you let nature inspire you?
2: Uh, honestly, a lot of time, we usually, I do a ton of pre-writing and, and whatever. And with this particular book, The aliens in this story, the way they walked into my imagination, um, I just knew that I was dealing with lawyers, but they were extraterrestrial lawyers. And so there was this personality to them that um, they are sort of weirdly literal. They're they're fluent, but they they get things wrong with the English language and with their perception of humans. So even though they're really smart and they're really devious, uh, they're also kind of funny. I mean, it is a satire. um, But no, I mean, the driving thing all the way through, I I think it works. And I can't explain why. Even as a writing teacher, I couldn't tell you why I think this works. I mostly went with, well, what would an alien lawyer do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It just sort of like bubbled out of me. Um, That's how I, I guess I see lawyers and how I see aliens maybe.
0: But do they wear cool wigs like the British lawyers,
2: the barristers? <laughs> no, they don't. They wear Earth suits, it's like Earth suits. You look at them and you think they're humans. They're not wearing spacesuits; they're wearing Earth suits. You think they're they're humans, but they're they claim that they're really there's something else inside there, and they just kind of have put on this outer shell.
0: Okay. Do you play with any of the tech like to, with the aliens would have had, or do you sort of keep that in the background as? like the overarching plot device that you don't actually get to look at.
2: You get to see glimpses of the tech because uh, uh, they do actually have power. They do have, you know, an advanced civilization. So you get to see glimpses of it, but there's no, um, it's not like star Trek where you're like watching them pull out a tricorder and scan things or something. It's just once in a while, you get hints, you get hints. There's something else going on here.
0: So, because they're wearing Earth suits, presumably making them look palatable to humans. Do you describe what they look like outside of those suits?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, they, they, they uh, Dr. Irenaeus is the chief alien, and most of the descriptions are slightly comical because they're they're wearing Earth suits, but they're not wearing them well. Okay. So, so their, their their movements are a little unnatural. <clears throat> all of their all their movements, they're they're going for human, and they're getting Uncanny Valley.
0: OK, so if you if you take this story and, you, and you're able to justify and get passionate about more in this universe, are you going to dive into that technology, like maybe take Maxine off Earth or are you going to still keep it on the planet?
2: Yeah, uh, that depends. I have different ideas for different books uh, and we'll see. I, I suspect that no matter what I outline, um, it will all change if I write another book. i'll end up up with like stuck going a different not stuck but like going a different direction with book two will like make other things make sense but also take some options off the table
0: so are you thinking if you wrote it it would be episodic or would it be linear storytelling this almost seems geared for episodic
2: yeah it's it's more episodic but but my intention would be to have a not that it would be anything like harry potter but an overall story arc with you know, individual arcs for each book. So you could come to any one of them, you know, read it, put it down, whatever. You wouldn't get the full arc, but you'd get enough that it wouldn't be dissatisfying would be the idea.
0: Okay. So uh, clearly we are winding down this, uh, this episode. Uh, but before we wrap this up, was there anything about Maxine justice
2: galactic attorney that we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us about before we, we close? Um, well, I mean, from a, uh, Sorry, but from a marketing standpoint, this is actually coming out on audio the same day that the book is releasing. So Oasis oh, nice. Audio is doing that, doing a a production of this, and the date it releases in hardcover, it'll be out on audio too. So we didn't really get to that, but that's I'm I'm kind of jazzed about that.
1: No, that's who's, super exciting.
2: Who's the narrator? I do not know yet. I've been told that it's someone with a lot of uh, energy. <laughs> so okay. <I> don't know. <laughs> I think they're waiting to see like how it turns
0: out or whatever. So I'm i would assume with a female main character that it'll be a female narrator.
2: Yes. Yeah. Definitely.
0: Okay. So uh, before we let you go, dear listener, uh, we'd like to remind you as we harken back to our our founding as the Sci-Fi Shenanigans. That uh, please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So, so do the things, people. And if you don't have an account on Amazon, or is this a wide book, or is this just on Amazon?
2: Uh, no, it's wide. It should be everywhere.
0: So, Yay! if you if you buy it on Barnes and Noble's or or any of the other sites, I'm sure there are others out there. Be sure to review it there too. And if you can't review it there, write a blog and write the post there. Just review it in all the places, uh, and he will he will love you forever. I will. Or, uh, but uh, all right. So review the books, people. It's it's your duty as a reader. Now, uh, Dan, should they want to st- stalk you, as readers often do, how can they find you on the interwebs?
2: Uh, well, my, you can find almost everything by going to my website, which is um, dan schwabauer s c h w a b a u e r dot
0: Okay. And uh, if you look at the screen, he's even got it up there. I made it so it's big so you can see it, people. Um, But he spelled it for you. It'll all be in the show notes. So if you're listening and not watching, just expand the show notes and you can see it. You can find us on Twitter at mm-hmm. twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades at gmail.com. That is blasters and blades at gmail.com. Send all hate mail to Doc Seska at blasters and uh, She loves to get those letters. Uh, you can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen.
1: I feed uh, my soul.
0: <laughs> feed her soul she doesn't have a soul uh www.facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast be sure to comment on all the episodes as we post them share funny sci-fi memes uh you can talk about why pineapple on pizza is a heresy tell doc she is wrong send about all the other
1: things. pictures of pineapple on pizza
0: Uh, Anything nerdy and speculative fiction is totally a-okay, so pictures of dragons or spaceships or aliens, all things are good over there, and we'd love to have you. Uh, You can join our uh, and follow us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where you can also support us for as little as 99 cents a month. It functions much like a Patreon model and helps us keep the lights on. The uh, overhead for a podcast isn't cheap. So uh, if you do your part and help us, we we stick around for another year. You could also support the show at buymeacoffee.com backslash author JR Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-host, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders.
1: Never surrender. And I get to drink Nick's share since he doesn't show up.
0: Wait. Does that mean I'm stuck being the sober uh, sober driver for the podcast? What? What? That doesn't sound fair. I get Nick's share. Your job is
1: the brain damaged one.
0: Ouch. You went there. Ouch. You wound me, doc. I will cry myself to sleep. Just Maybe call for a medic. We'll
1: ignore you. It's okay.
0: <laughs> all right. Bring us home, doc.
1: <laughs> Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the absentee, Nick Garber and JR, I am Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Where we indulge our love of nerd culture, teasy dokes, torturing JR, and of course, all things that go
0: Boom. Doc, did I ever tell you when you made the joke about call a medic and they'll ignore you, my experience with a medic? Yeah,
1: you had lots of experiences with medics. You're a very damaged.